This morning, going to begin a, a new study, uh, and I want to kind of use the, 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 the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, as, as somewhat of a parable as we move through the, the month of uh, December uh, together. It's a Wonderful Not Life is the, that, that Christmas movie that was uh, released in 1946. It, it has uh, won five or was nominated for five Academy Awards. It has been uh, placed in the top 100 in the American Film Institute list of the, the greatest all-time movies. It was actually placed number one as the, the most inspirational movie. And it's that movie that, that, that follows the life uh, of George... Bailey. In uh, 1928, George Bailey, uh, soon after uh, graduating high school, he, he's, he spent some time working and saved up movie, and, and he's a, a big dreamer. He has big plans for his life. He's going to go on a, a world tour and, and visit all of these exotic places around the world, and then he's going to come back, and he's going to go to college, and he's going to build, he's going to make a difference in the world. But then he runs into hard times, beginning with the, the passing of his father, and he has to step up and begin to take care of family, and, and he comes into some, some very difficult uh, seasons of life. And the crisis moment comes years later at Christmas time as he has uh, four kids now, and, and he's lost $8,000. Facing going to jail, he, he's contemplating just ending it all. He doesn't have any hope anymore. The movie ends with providing this, this uh, hope for George Bailey. The, the, and the hope comes from the, the, the love of the people, the, the community. They, they love him as much as he has loved them over the years. And it's a beautiful story. And yet... It is incomplete. It is an incomplete story because it does not mention the story of Jesus. Historically, Christians at this time of year have celebrated what is known as Advent. And I know that that's not, not traditionally a part of our, our Church of Christ heritage. But all Advent means is, is it's the, the coming or the appearing. And Advent, it's not just something that, that looks back at the past, at, at the birth of Jesus, but it's also something that looks forward to the coming of Jesus again. That the, the appearing of Jesus the first time, that it makes this promise that, that Jesus will return again. And more than that, it gives us the hope that Jesus will appear right here and right now. We're going to look throughout this month at the themes of, of hope, of love, of joy, and of peace that can truly offer a wonderful life that is only possible in Christ. Let me encourage you to open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 2 with me. Isaiah is one of those, those books that that it's in the Old Testament, and because of that, we don't know a lot about it. And then also, just by its nature, it, it's filled with a lot of, of prophecy. And, and the prophetic language often loses us. 
But what is important to know about about uh, the early part of Isaiah is it is a prophecy that is coming during a time of great anxiety during the life of the nation of Israel. The Assyrian Empire is is uh, growing in power. They are beginning to threaten uh, the, the northern kingdom of Israel and uh, Ahaz, the, the king of Judah. He is also feeling the pressure to choose sides here in this war. And there's, there's great uh, turmoil. And anytime there's, there's, there's this turmoil, there's this, this kind of underswell of, uh, of things going on, along with it comes anticipation or hope. Last night, after uh, my children, I, I sent them in to, to take a bath, and, and my, my five-year-old comes out, and I'm brushing her hair. She's sitting in my lap, and, and she begins to, to talk about uh, how uh, with, with Christmas that, that we, we need to uh, make uh, cookies for, for Santa, and we're going to put out, put out uh, milk, and we're going to set that on the fireplace, and, and uh, we we had decorated our house on uh, Friday and Saturday, and so the tree is up, and all the stockings are up on the mantle. And she's looking at all of that stuff, and I, I say, I say, sweetie, you know that Christmas is still a very long time away. She said, I know, but I, I'm just getting ready. And, and I can feel her anticipation starting to rise, and with that, my anxiety starting to rise, because I know that there's going to be a daily conversation with her, that it's not time yet. That, that, it, that Christmas isn't here. We don't get to open presents. We're not going to make the cookies yet. We're not going to set the milk out yet. And this is the kind of position that the nation of Israel is in. They have great hope of what the future is going to hold in store. And Isaiah chapter 2, the first five verses present a beautiful picture of what that future will look like. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, says or saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will, will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob, he will teach us His ways so that we may walk in His paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears and pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now you don't have to know all of that history or the, 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 the historical context of the, the nation of Israel to hear what, what good news this prophecy brings. To imagine a day that, that, that your nation is going to rise up above all other nations. That God will prove finally, once for all, that He is on your side. And more than that, that these weapons that, that you're sacrificing right now to, to have created, that those will no longer be, that there will no longer be a need for those. 
They will have to be refashioned, repurposed for other things. Things that, that, that bring about community. Things that, that bring about human flourishing. That's the day that they are anticipating. And yet, we stand here some couple thousand or so years later. And we still have that, that hope, that dream. That that day will come, that, that the last days will come. The day of the Lord is, is a, a frequent uh, phrase that's used throughout the Old Testament. The, this day that, that they looked forward to when all things were made right. And speaking of Advent, we live in this awkward stage of, of between times. In between the comings of Christ, that that he came once and and, and he did some incredible things and then he promised that he's going to return, that he will come again. But now we stand in this time where where things aren't quite like the prophecies say. Things aren't quite as good. We don't have the the, the peace. We don't have the the harmony. We don't have the, the, the reign of God in its fullness like we would dream about. A Swedish philosopher named Christer Stendhal said that that one of the greatest struggles for Christians, for modern Christians, is to believe that history serves a purpose. And what he meant by that is not just that that the past had meaning, but, but if the past doesn't have meaning, then the present doesn't have any meaning. He looks at, at Christianity and what we, we tend to adopt is a, more of a, a Star Trek theology than a resurrection theology. Star Trek theology is that, that, that beam me up, Scotty, whenever I get into trouble, that, that I'm just going to be uh, exported out of this, this trouble, out into a different place, and that's the only thing that matters. But this, this doesn't. Christians struggle in the in-between time to, to make sense, to believe that, that right here and right now has any purpose for them. And as we wait, and as it becomes even longer and longer that we wait, we start to experience the pain of waiting. Some of you may remember the, the pain medication Metaprin that had the, the slogan, when your body doesn't have time for pain, Metaprin. And the, the commercials, it, it would feature all of these scenes that, that, that would cause a, a bunch of noise or a bunch of uh, physical pain. And, and the, the solution is that you just take this pill and the pain will go away. The problem with that solution is that whenever you begin to, to stuff the pain, that, that you begin to lose the dreams, you lose the hopes, you, you lose the ability to experience joy again. Because there's nothing that I enjoy more than to talk about things that I've never experienced. Uh, uh, let me make the comparison to a childbirth. There reaches a point in, in childbirth for many women where they, the, the pain becomes so great that they, they, they want to just numb the pain. And they receive an epidural to, to remove the pain. And yet, 
after the, the child enters into this world, the body also releases some, uh, some feel-good hormones, so, some things that, that, that numb the pain, the, some things that, that, that make the, the mother feel uh, ecstatic. And whenever you numb the ability to feel pain, you also numb the ability to, to experience joy. You stuff the hopes. You stop dreaming because it's the dreams that never come true that hurt so much. But Advent, the coming of Jesus, it awakens those desires and longings once again. It, it, it awakens the, the, the deepest longings within your souls, within your bodies. Just reflect with me for a moment on how the, the, the desires, the arousal is, uh, is awakened in the lives of those that experience the first coming of Jesus. In Luke chapter 1, you have the, 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 the prophecy that, that Elizabeth and Zechariah were going to give birth to a, a child. And that prophecy is significant because Zechariah and Elizabeth, they are old. And we're told that, that Elizabeth is barren. She's unable to conceive and give birth. But, but as Zechariah enters the temple, an angel appears and says that your prayer has been heard. And i got to wonder, when did he pray that prayer? He's old. He knows the, the course of life. He knows the, the stages at which uh, people give birth. I had imagined that Zechariah stopped praying this prayer long, long ago. I imagine that because he, he responds to that and almost laughter saying, how is this going to happen? If this was going to happen, it should have happened years ago. But because Jesus is coming, this desire that, that, that he had long stuffed so that he stopped feeling the pain of it being unrealized, it is awakened once again. In Luke chapter 7, John the Baptist, the, this child that was prophesied, he is now in prison and he sends some of his disciples to Jesus and asks the question, are you the one that we are waiting for? Are you the one that we are expecting? Or should we wait still longer? You see that, that there's this expectation that, is, that is, is being heightened because of what Jesus is doing, what Jesus is teaching about. Luke chapter 18, Jesus comes across a man that has been blind, perhaps all of his life. Verse 41, Jesus looks at that man who has called out to him and he says, what do you want me to do for you? He offers the invitation for the man to, to search the depths of his soul, uh, what, what his deepest longing and desire is. doesn't take an imagination 
to begin to think that this man had long ago given up hope of seeing again. That he had sought out every medical treatment that it was available and he'd given that up. But Jesus comes to him and he says, what do you want? What do you really, really want? Because my coming, it arouses those desires. You hear it again at the resurrection. As the two disciples are are leaving Jerusalem, they don't know that Jesus has been raised from the dead. They just know that the tomb is empty. They're talking with them among themselves. And they describe the things that Jesus had had done in Luke 24, verse 21. And they, they say that we had hoped that He was going to be the one that redeemed Israel. That He's the one that is arousing these desires that, that, that we had long stuffed. We'd given up hope. But He brought those desires to life again. Many of you, even though some of you may not be sports fans, you've probably heard of the name Tom Brady. He's the quarterback for the New England Patriots. He has now won six Super Bowls as a a quarterback of the Patriots. Back in 2007, he was leading his team to an undefeated season, something that had only been done one other time. On December 23rd, he was interviewed on 60 Minutes by Steve Croft. And at the time, he had already won three Super Bowls. He had been dating uh, numerous supermodels. He was living the life that, that every young boy dreams of living. And in that interview, he told Steve Croft, he, he posed the question of, of here I've, I've won three Super Bowls and, and why is it that I, I feel this longing that, that there's something more out there? That I say to myself, God, th- this ha- can't be all that there is. And Croft, being the, the great interviewer that he is, Responded back, what's the answer? He says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew what more there is. See, some would say that what, what you need to do is just simply be satisfied with the life that you have. That you just need to end at Thanksgiving and just simply be grateful. That, that you need to stop longing for more. But Advent comes and says that that emptiness that you feel inside, even though it seems as though the world is right, it is pointing you to a deeper longing. A longing for the day of the Lord. And that hope isn't just empty. That that, that hope, according to Scripture, resides in the Advent, in in the fact that, that Jesus came. Advent announces that Jesus is Lord. Advent doesn't just awaken these desires, but it delivers on that promise by announcing that Jesus Christ is Lord. And those are more than just words. When the angel appeared to Mary in Luke chapter 1, Mary was told, 
that she would conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That, that is a, a great, um, in, in, the, in the scope of being large, of a prophecy as you could possibly have. Not just that he's going to be a great man. Not just that he's going to be a pretty good guy, but, but that he's going to reign forever. You realize that one of the first heresies that the early Christians had to face was the teaching that Jesus, that, that he didn't have a physical body. John and First John, he, he goes to great lengths to, to say that, that, that the things that I'm writing to you, this is what I, I saw with my own eyes. This is what I, I, I touched with my own hands. This, this Jesus, he was flesh and blood. That his birth, it matters. Because it proclaims that he is Lord something that was prophesied centuries before. This next year, we're going to enter into another election cycle. And as you turn on your news channel of choice, it is likely that they will begin to discuss, if they haven't already, and begin predicting who is going to win the election. And those that seem to, to offer the most wisdom, those that seem to get their predictions right the most, they, they are the ones that get paid the most. They are the ones that, that, that get invited to, to uh, appear on the most programs. But imagine that they're not just predicting who's going to, to be the president now or, or a year from now. But imagine... For example, that, that they're talking about where the next president is, is going to be born, the, the location 700 years from now. Because that's what Micah did. That's what Micah the prophet did. He, he prophesied where the Messiah was going to be born. I mean, we don't even know that the United States is going to be ex in existence as we know it 700 years from now. And he's predicting where he's going to be born. Or what about predicting how, how he's going to die? As David did a thousand years before the Messiah was even born. Josh McDowell, he, he looked using a modern mathematics. At, at what, what, are the, the, what is the probability that someone would fulfill just eight? Just eight of the prophecies that are in the Old Testament about the Messiah. And there are many more than eight prophecies. And he, he determined that it was... Uh, 1 and 10 to the 17th power. I don't know if you're a mathematician, but, but that, that makes no sense to me. I have no concept of what that number is. He goes on to explain that you can take uh, quarters, and if you were to spread quarters out across the state of Texas and layer those quarters two feet deep, deep that would be 1 and 10 to the 17th power of the number of quarters. 
And what you are doing is you are just taking one of those quarters and you're picking them up and you're placing a special mark on them and you're going to, to a friend and you're saying, okay, just walk across Texas and blindly just pick up a quarter. And the chance of them picking up that one is the chance of someone fulfilling just eight of those prophecies. And Jesus fulfilled all of them. The, the rational response to this kind of prophecy is what, what Mary said. How is this going to be? The same kind of response that, that we experience in our day in between times as we experience our own longings and our own frustrations is how is this going to happen? Romans chapter 13, Paul looking forward to the day of Jesus coming. It says, do this. Understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. I know that there's no historical reason to, to celebrate the birth of Jesus at the time that we do, but there's great theological reason to. This time of year when the days are shorter, Paul uses that image of, of dawn. That, that you don't know exactly when the dawn, when the sun is going to, to rise. You don't know exactly that moment. But we all can engage in this spiritual exercise of, of, of waking up before the sun rises. And it's not all that early right now. It's a little after 7.30, so you don't have to wake up just super early. But, but to go out and, and experience that anticipation, to experience the beauty of the colors, and, and you can't predict the, the, the different shades that it's going to be that particular morning with the sunrise. But this is what it's like at Advent. Because the days after the birth of Jesus, the light is getting longer. So Paul says, don't, don't just stay in the darkness, but clothe yourselves in Jesus Christ. Get prepared. Advent invites participation. Anytime there is, there is a teaching about, about Jesus coming, it's not just, hey, you need to know this, it's important. But it's followed up with, now live this way. Now respond. Now participate in what God is doing. History has deep meaning. Your life has deep meaning because of Advent. Jesus Himself, while He was here, acknowledged in Matthew 24 that, that no one knows the day. No one knows the day of the Lord. He says that it'll be like the, the days of Noah, that everybody's just going to be living their life, and then it will happen. 
And to support that, that case, he, he tells four parables that, that demonstrate what it's going to be like. And the last of those ends with these words in Matthew 25. Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Jesus says that that your life right now, it has eternal consequences. Moses, in describing God, says, says that, 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 that He's giving you, given you His law, and whenever you sin, that it has consequences three or four generations, but God's love, it extends for thousands of generations because what you do, it matters into eternity. Dan Quis- Quisenberry was a baseball pitcher, and dur- during uh, a season when his team was in a, a long slump, He was quoted as saying that the future is just like the present, only longer. But Advent, Advent tells a different kind of story. Advent offers this invitation that says that that Jesus came, that God has intervened into history, and He's moving history in a specific direction. And it offers the invitation to participate in that direction. Dietrich Bonhoeffer lived during World War II in Germany and he was arrested because of his his preaching against Hitler. Some of the Christians that knew him came to him in prison and they they asked him why he continued to voice his his, uh, opinion against Hitler. That that Jesus is going to return and he's going to to, to just kind of uh, end all of this and it's not going to matter anyway. Bonhoeffer responded that whenever Jesus comes, then he's going to make everything all right. He said, I must continue the struggle until it is finished. What Advent opens our awareness to is that 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 eternity is not separated from our life, but it's actually a continuation of it. And the work that we do here, it prepares us for what life will be like then. It is as if we are learning a new language. And, and this language, it's not fully spoken here by, by people around us, but we will become fluent in that language when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness. And so as... Christmas comes, the world says that this is about you. The story of It's a Wonderful Life says that that you matter because of what you do. But Advent tells a different story. That you matter because of what God is doing. Join now in the story that God is writing as we prepare for a song of invitation.
let me just ask you to reflect for a moment on, on how you are living. Are you living in anticipation of the sunrise? Are you joining in? Or have you become weary of waiting? Have you begun to stuff down the, the desires and longings of your heart? Some of our shepherds will be at the back of the worship center and I'll be at the front. If you'd like to, to be baptized into Christ or if you'd just like prayers, we invite you to come as we stand and sing together.